0: Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This episode follows week 17, where the Jets find themselves in a period of reflection, on the brink of an organizational upheaval. The playoffs have eluded us yet again, and it's time for some personnel change. But not only are the Jets coachless right now, sitting with the least amount of signed players for the twenty nineteen season, they're also preparing for a team rebranding. Yeah. New logos perhaps? New jerseys for sure? Are they gonna go back to that old Kelly Green? Possibly introduce a fun new third color we've never even seen before? Nobody knows for sure. The only thing that we do know is that when 2019 rolls around, the New York Jets team is going to be close to unrecognizable when they hit that field. There's a lot to be done in the meantime to get there. This episode follows both the Packers and Patriots games, two totally different game fields, but the same outcome. Loss and loss. Now it does help the Jets land that number three pick in the 2019 draft, which was gaining importance to much of the fan base as the year waned on. And while I always wanted to win every single game, Patriots, Packers, Texans, you name them, even to the end... I'm sure glad we got such a valuable picking spot for this entire draft. It's going to be well worthwhile for a general manager who, frankly, has had a poor drafting resume over the seasons. Hopefully this will help him a little bit. So I guess it's not all bad. Now, I've not done an episode since right after the Texans game. Right, We had the holidays, I had family stuff, big life events, you name it. Everything found its way to make its way into my five days off. Basically, it made five days off from work feel like five days of overtime work. But of course, it was awesome. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Missed that one week for a podcast episode, but catching up now. I'm going to try to get off to a hot start in this 2019 season. Now, since I'll be covering two games this week, and at this point, neither one is of great importance to anybody since the season's over and half the roster's on the verge of free agency, so I'm going to move a little quicker than usual through everything. Right, we got a long offseason ahead of us. There's no reason rushing through all the great talking points right now. This episode is going to be broken down to the following categories. We've got an AFC East final standings, NFL news and notes, including playoff picture, draft order, and Jets coaching candidates. I'm going to do a little what's on tap, back-to-back Packers and Patriots recaps, and then kind of prep ourselves for what's coming after that. I don't have a game preview to do because the Jets aren't playing, and I don't have any more recaps to do for the rest of the year, so... My plan is probably in about two weeks, I'm going to put out an episode that's going to be a Jets final season recap, going to go through the final numbers and statistics for the team and the players and kind of take a look at which direction the team is going to go. After that, I'm probably going to do episodes basically every two weeks. I'm not going to do them as frequently as I do right now because there's just honestly not as much content. I'm going to do probably some dialed back, maybe some shorter episodes, but about every two weeks. Going to do some, you know, draft preview, draft recap, free agency preview, free agency recap, training camp stuff, um, everything along the way. We're going to talk a little bit of playoffs as the episodes are available there. Jets coaching things, what direction the team is going, and as we start resigning these players and whatnot, there's going to be stuff going on. Can't wait to see what the new uniforms are going to look like. Going to talk about all that and. Uh, And everything. So it's going to be great. Looking forward to every episode after that. But right now, let's focus on this one following week 17. Wow, this one ought to be good. So without further ado, let's go, Jets. All right, starting us off, we are going to do an AFC East final standings recap here, where once again, the New England Patriots find themselves champions of the AFC East. Not really a competitive division, basically, since Tom Brady stepped foot on the field. It's been a one team. Wrecking crew, as everyone else is just kind of, you know, paving the way. We're we're just good practice teams for them, so that by the time they get to the playoffs, they can play really, really well. Don't have to worry too much about exerting too much energy against the Dolphins, Bills, Jets. Not too much, uh, not too much challenge there. Dolphins playing well. Jets have played them well over the years, even the Bills here and there. But the grand scheme of things, the Patriots own this division right now. They were eight and zero at home this year. They didn't lose a single home game. That's ridiculous. Now they weren't great on the road, right? So they they ended up with five of their losses all of them on the road. And depending on uh, how this thing turns out, if they play the Chiefs, they will have to play one road game. But being the number two seed in the AFC, that's all they got. Everything else is going to be a home game for them, and then one neutral site field for a Super Bowl if they can make it there. Now, Patriots win the division. They go to the playoffs. Like I said, they're the number two seed. They're going to be getting a bye in the first week. Unfortunately, didn't work out with uh, the Jets able to beat them in that last week. Would have been awesome to make the Patriots play a week one game. But yet again, they have a bye. Now, following them as the Dolphins at 7 and 9, that's not a very good record considering how hot they started the season. They were one of those teams that was getting everybody talking week 3, week 4, like, ooh, the Dolphins are turning some heads. Who knows how long they can keep this going? Are they a team that's poised to make a playoff run? Maybe not the division, but probably a wild card spot. At 7 and 9, really, they never sniffed the playoffs that much. Come the end of the season, they were basically out of it, and they closed this season off slow. They started hot. They ended 6-2 at home, which is a very good record. They did beat the Patriots there. But, you know, when you only win one game on the road for the rest of the season, that's not so hot. The Bills, they were 4-4 four and four at home, 6-10 and 10 overall, only one game behind the Dolphins. A Bills team that had been really bad all season long finishes just one game behind the Dolphins. Now, the Dolphins were four games behind the Patriots when it was all said and done. So they weren't even close to it. There were points when we were talking like, hey, maybe the Dolphins can take this division. No, not even close. The Bills were almost as close as the Dolphins to doing that when it was all said and done. And then for the New York Jets coming in two games behind the Bills at 4-12, and 12, only 2-6 and six at home. They won two home games. Unacceptable, they got to get better there. Some of it comes down to the matchups that you have, injuries that you've got during those specific weeks. You only play eight games home, right? But you want to win more than two. And hopefully, moving forward, the Jets are going to find a little bit more inspiration and spark at that home fan base. Be able to find some wins there because those are the games that you got to win. You got to win at home. And then you got to find a way to scratch out a few games on the road. The Jets, really, were 2-6 and six at home, 2-6 and six on the road. Didn't make a difference where they were playing, it seemed. They sometimes came out hot, sometimes came out flat. You weren't sure which team you were going to get, a sort of Jekyll and Hyde scenario. The only thing that you knew for sure was that they basically were going to lose um, for most of the season, you know, 12 losses. They ended up the third-worst team in the entire NFL. And it's interesting because you're watching and, like, sometimes you watch the Jets and you're thinking, the Jets can beat these good teams, right? They play the Texans well. They beat the Colts. They beat the Broncos. Some teams that you think maybe are, are somewhat strong. And they beat these teams... Sometimes playing so well that you're like, wow, the Jets are a pretty good team. But then when it's all said and done, they finish third to last in the entire NFL, which is surprising because those teams, that, like the Cardinals, seem so much worse than the Jets. The Raiders, like, they've got to be so much worse than the 49ers. But no, the Jets are right there. Same amount of wins as the Raiders with John Gruden, same amount of wins as the 49ers with no Jimmy Garoppolo. And what was our excuse this year? You know, the Jets overall were a pretty healthy team. We didn't have any terrible, terrible injuries. Sam Darnold played 13 of the 16 games. He played much better towards the end, but when it's all said and done, the Jets decided to put the blame on Todd Bowles. They're going to keep Mike McKagan, general manager, around for next year, and they're going to get rid of Todd Bowles. We're going to talk about the head coaching vacancy shortly, but uh, before we do that, I'm going to touch on some other stuff. So that's our AFC East recap. Patriots on top, followed by 7-9 and nine Dolphins, 6-10 and 10 Bills, 4-12 and 12 Jets last place. We're going to have to move up next year, start getting better, because uh, this team is, is not uh, making a great name for itself in the AFC East right now. All right, so NFL news and notes. The playoffs are upon us. The Jets are not in it. But most NFL fans are still going to be watching the playoffs, even if your team isn't in it, because the playoffs are just so much fun. The games are so good. They're so important. You know, it's lose one game and you're out. You don't have some seven-game series to try to fix everything if you don't get it right right away. you got to start fast. you got to end fast. And you got to get ready for the next week because it comes fast. So basically, we're going to start off with a divisional rival matchup in the AFC East. The division winning Houston Texans playing wild card winner Indianapolis Colts. That's going to be a really good game because Deshaun Watson and the, and the Texans have been playing well all season long. And the Colts are on a bit of a hot streak right now with Andrew Luck. So that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Then you got the Chargers, who had one of the best records in the AFC but end up as a wild card because they share a division with the Chiefs. They're going to be playing Lamar Jackson, fellow rookie quarterback, and the Baltimore Ravens. Now, on the NFC side, you got the Seahawks playing against the Cowboys which will be interesting because they already played earlier this year. It should be a pretty good game. People are thinking the Seahawks are going to win, but Cowboys fans don't want to hear that, and they are making as many excuses as they possibly can. It's going to be interesting because the Cowboys are kind of like that big-name, big-market flashy team that has a huge, huge fan base all across the country waiting to see them win. Then you got the Seahawks, who are like a proven team that's been there, been in the playoffs, won a Super Bowl in the last few years, and they've kind of rebranded themselves with new players because they lost their whole Legion of Boom and Marshawn Lynch. A lot of the stuff that they identified as, and, and kind of switched it up this year, still following Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll. We're going to see what happens there. You know, the veterans or those new guys who are looking for a shot at the playoffs. Then your other NFC matchup, you got the Eagles with Nick Foles playing instead of Carson Wentz against Mitch Trubisky and the Chicago Bears. That's going to be another good game because Nick Foles is playing, and sure, you're like, oh, he's the backup. Carson Wentz is better, but keep in mind, the Eagles just made it to the playoffs playing Nick Foles because he had played so well at the end of the season. They were not a shoe in when Carson Wentz went down, Nick Foles played well enough to get them wins, get them into the playoffs, and this is the same guy that came in as a backup at the very end of last season and ended up going on a run to win the Super Bowl. I mean, can he do it again? The Bears are a team that potentially he can beat. So that's what we got for uh, for the playoffs. Week one, Saturday and Sunday. I think it's a four o'clock and eight o'clock game on Saturday, and then one o'clock game and four o'clock game on Sunday. So basically, all weekend's gonna be dominated by the playoffs. A lot of fun, and then you got your bye teams in the AFC chiefs they're going to play the best or the the worst seed of all of the afc teams that is left after the first round. The patriots will play the higher seed of the teams in the afc. On the nfc side, the saints and rams sit and the saints get to play the easier team, you know, record-wise and the rams will play the higher seed. So we got a lot of fun stuff coming up. No jets unfortunately, but still really good football and these playoffs fly by. One thing that's coming, a little non-nfl news is another football league called the alliance of american football which is set by a bunch of uh, ex-nfl people you got a ton of important people making that league guys like bill boley bill polian dick Ebersol, and then a bunch of people involved like justin tuck jared allen troy palomalu tons of dudes um that have great respect you got some ex-nfl coaches some ex-nfl players christian hackenberg may play there. ex-jets wide receiver Stephen hill is on a team right now um That's going to be another league for football, and it's not the XFL. The XFL is done by Vince McMahon, and he had said that he plans on doing something in, like, 2021, 2022. He said that earlier this year, and then, like, a couple months later, all of a sudden, uh, Polian and the boys in the Alliance of American Football say, hey, we're going to do another football league, and it's going to come even sooner. Now, a lot of people are in favor of this league because it begins basically right after the Super Bowl and goes basically right up until the draft, so it can get you right through that football stretch where you're not entirely sure what you want to do. You don't have to be torn between the two leagues or pick one over the other. You can basically just watch the Alliance of American Football in February, maybe March, see if you like it, and if it's any good, keep watching. Now, the idea I think that a lot of people are interested in is the XFL tried to come in and be a rival league to the NFL, and they said that they want to come in and try to take some of the fan away from the NFL and get them into their league and compete for that same market share. Now, I think what the Alliance of American Football should do is not compete for the same market share, but be more of a... Farm system minor leagues for the NFL. You've got a lot of guys that come out of college, you know, practice squad players and a little bit worse than them that don't get drafted, that are on those training camp rosters and preseason rosters, and then they get cut and they don't really have another opportunity to play again because there's nowhere for them to be in a competitive league and still be seen by the NFL. All right, those guys are like, all right, I got cut. I either get to try to come back next year when I'm one year further removed from playing competitive football or I can go find another career. Now, with another league, you can take those players that are fringe. Almost good enough to play, but not quite there. And maybe they're not quite there to be on a practice squad, but you still want to see a little bit more game film of them following college. So another league could be awesome. There's only eight teams right now. We'll see how it runs, how it's going to go. Luckily, it doesn't seem like it's trying to compete with football because it comes at a different time of the year, and it doesn't seem like at this point they're really trying to take a bunch of coaches and players away from the NFL to come make more money there. They're just trying to coexist in a smaller, lesser league which is perfectly fine and could be a great thing for football. So that's what's coming up in February. Now, away from that, we got some other NFL news and notes. Antonio Brown and the Steelers are having issues go figure. Personnel stuff between Ben Roethlisberger, Mike Tomlin, and Antonio Brown, for once, doesn't have Le'Veon Bell involved, but Antonio Brown, they say, maybe left halfway through the game in Week 17, walked out, nobody can get a hold of him right now. He's unhappy, demanding trades. What the heck is going on there? He has a huge salary assigned to him right now. For next season, it's like $19 million of dead money they'd have in Pittsburgh, so I'm not sure if they're going to want to trade him. But huge issues over there on a team that didn't make the playoffs. They lost games to like the Raiders down the stretch, didn't play great football. They didn't play the Patriots well. Somehow were able to get a win there. But overall, that team is a mess, and they have so much drama, so many issues. And you know, it all starts with those guys, Le'Veon Bell, Ben Roethlisberger, Antonio Brown. And honestly, it seems like Mike Tomlin isn't disciplinarian enough to get those guys in line and say, hey, this has to stop right now, guys. So we'll see if Antonio Brown's on the move. If he's playing next year, we know Le'Veon Bell's basically all but gone from Pittsburgh. He's going to be finding a new team. And is Antonio Brown the next guy out? We'll see. Odell Beckham Jr. is another guy whose name is being mentioned right now as possible. Trade block candidate. Um, Not entirely sure how much truth there is to that, but some people are reporting now, you know, OBJ is a guy that maybe moved from the Giants. He's got a pretty big... Salary assigned to him. Now, the Giants, they have the money to pay him right now. He's already under contract, and he's, like, their great shining star that they drafted a couple of years ago. Um, you'd think that if they wanted to move away from him, they would have done it by now, but, you know, he did get his act together right before getting the big contract, kind of proved that he should be coming back because he was, you know, a man, maybe he was maturing, and then all of a sudden he gets that big contract and he goes right back to being the same sort of immature, you know, young mentality-wise player that you were hoping he wasn't going to be. And, uh, you know, so you hate to see it over there. A player with so much talent could easily be maybe the best wide receiver in the entire league, but, you know, he doesn't really show up mentally the way you expect a guy that's getting paid that much that's that talented, you know, to be. He's a smart guy too. There's no reason for him to act the way that he does all the time and be in the situation where he's potentially on a trade block, right? Most teams would kill for a guy that's that good. It's all based on his personality. It has nothing to do with his skill because he's incredibly talented. So that's what's going on there. Now, other trading options. People are saying the Cardinals, who ended up getting the number one pick in the 2019 NFL draft, could potentially be looking to shop that first overall pick. They maybe don't want to go with a guy like Nick Bosa or a Josh Allen, another two uh, edge rushers in this year's draft that are slated to be possibly number one, number two pick overall in this draft. Maybe they don't want to go with one of those guys. Maybe they want to trade back, and one of these you know quarterback-hungry teams is going to move up a little early to get a Dwayne Haskins, who's probably the top quarterback in this year's draft. Most of us Jets fans probably don't even know the name Dwayne Haskins. Why? We don't care about the quarterbacks in this year's draft. We don't need one. We already got it for the first time in however many years. We aren't scouting quarterbacks in the draft, and it feels kind of good. We can go back to drafting, uh, I don't know, edge rushers like we seem to do every single year. Another guy that can flop at that you know top 10 pick overall. See Quentin copples see Vernon Golston. But that could potentially shake up the entire landscape of the draft and of the first round. You know, if all of a sudden you've got a quarterback going first overall or second overall, maybe if a team wants to get one of them so bad and is willing to trade up to get there, I mean, then all of a sudden you've got a guy like Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, dropping back a little bit, and another team's going to trade up. Are the Jets going to be in a position where they can trade back and try to accrue more picks? Or do they want to take one of those guys? Are they so comfortable with one of them they say, he's can't miss, we got to take him at three? There's going to be a ton of options. When you're picking third overall, there's just so much value with that pick in general that you can take an amazing player. Basically, everybody that you want from all of college is going to be available, except for two players in the entire country. They're all going to be there. Teams want to get to that spot because they know how valuable it is. It gives you options, and hopefully Mike McAgden, a guy who's been pretty good at dealing, especially in things like with draft picks and and moving up in the draft, moving back in the draft, we'll see what he can do come, uh, come this 2019 draft season. Now, the other question on everybody's mind is, what coach is that draft pick going to be coming to play for? We know it's not going to be Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles ended with a pretty bad resume in terms of win-loss record with the New York Jets. He failed to make the playoffs. He failed to really make this team competitive in much of his time with us. We had one good season with Ryan Fitzpatrick in 2015, and after that, couldn't really get much going. After 2016, we realized that we had to basically cut everybody and rebuild this whole team. We did it behind Josh McCown, who started moving us maybe in the right direction, but still, you know, a sub-500 team. And then we're able to get that sixth pick in the draft. We trade up, get Sam Darnold, and try to build around him. But still, the roster just doesn't seem like it's there yet. And we've got $100 million in cap space. Basically, nobody signed to the roster. Not a ton of talent overall. We've drafted poorly outside of that. And Todd Bowles? He's the guy to blame for all of it. Now, it's not necessarily all his fault, right? Todd Bowles was actually a pretty good coach. I think he's a very good defensive coordinator. And, you know, if it wasn't so weird and, like, totally impossible to happen in the NFL, I would love to bring Todd Bowles back in as the defensive coordinator of the Jets. That's just not how it works. It'll never happen. The head coach couldn't come in and be his boss, right? That's just—it's not the way the world works. But he's definitely worth— that position on a team and I think he's going to get an opportunity very quickly to be defensive coordinator again for another team in the NFL. So basically the search for a head coach begins. Now, the Johnsons have decided to bring back Mike McKagan as general manager for another season. So what does that mean? It means that he's going to help in electing our new head coach. Now, he's going to work with Chris Johnson primarily um, as his other confidant for who he's going to take. They're going to decide together on who the head coach will be, and from there, they'll find assistant coaches, coordinators, and everything like that. We aren't entirely sure if we're going to be keeping guys like Jeremy Bates, Casey Rogers, or Brant Boyer, though I think most of us are in agreement. We'd like to move on from Jeremy Bates. Casey Rogers should probably go because we can find another defensive coordinator and Brant Boyer played great special teams coaching for the Jets and we should probably try to get him back if possible. You always worry that you bring a new head coach in and even if you have a great, you know, special teams coach, defensive coordinator, whatever, that guy's got somebody else in mind that he wants to work with and you end up firing a good coach, you know, just because the new coach has ties to somebody else. That's all stuff that's possible. Brant Boyer is a guy that deserves to come back. But who's this new head coach candidate going to be? There are a bunch of names associated with the Jets right now. Some getting interviews, some about to get interviews, and some that I just want to have interviews that haven't even been brought up too much yet. So let's get into some of them. Cliff Kingsbury, a name that's been mentioned a ton recently by Jets fans, and I have no idea why. I'm sure he's a great guy. He may make a good head coach, but right now on his resume, I just don't see it. 39 years old, offensive coordinator currently of USC, was not the offensive coordinator last year with Sam Darnold. It was a totally different guy. He was in Texas Tech, had a losing record as the head coach there, he worked with guys previous in his career, guys like Johnny Manziel and some other really prolific offensive players. Um, they say he's got really, really good football IQ on the offensive side of the ball, but he's 39 years old, and do I trust him to come in here and learn this whole position and, and do it in the NFL level and get stuff? You know, I want a guy who's day one ready, a guy that we know can be a head coach in the NFL, not a guy who's going to be a prod. You don't want a project as your head coach. Well, you've got projects at positions like quarterback. So Cliff Kingsbury, to me, doesn't make a whole ton of sense. Then you got guys like Adam Gase. He's the head coach of uh, Miami Dolphins. He was let go. Mike McCarthy, the coach of the Packers. He was let go. You got the offensive coordinator of the Bucks, Todd Munkin. I know what you're thinking. The Bucs? Why would we want a coach from the Bucs? They were terrible. They were, but think of what their offense did this year. Think of how many times they scored more than 30 points. Think of the numbers that Ryan Fitzpatrick was putting up. The numbers that Jameis Winston even was able to put up sometimes when he came back. Out of nowhere. They had basically no running game. Running backs, you know, Peyton Barber doing basically nothing, and they're working with a bunch of different tight ends, some different style wide receivers. You know, you got your Deshaun Jackson, your Mike Evans. They do have good weapons there, don't get me wrong. But that offensive coordinator had one of the best, I think they were saying it was like the number three offense in the entire league, on the Bucks. Yeah, I mean, part of the reason they were so bad is because of that defense. So people are looking at Todd Munkin as a possible option for the Jets. And you got Eric Bieniemy, the current offensive coordinator of the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, he's only been OC for a very short while and Andy Reid does most of the play calling. But the reason that everyone likes that possible hire is because Andy Reid is such a offensive mastermind that if this guy's sitting back there just seeing his play calling, learning his way, if he's astute and a quick learner and picking up all this stuff, it could be super great for the New York Jets. You're trying to find those guys. Who has the offensive ability like a, a Matt Nagy, the old offensive coordinator for Andy Reid? And Andy Reid, a Sean McVay, who has that creativity? Not very many coaches in the NFL, and that's what everybody wants. So you're thinking, well, if Eric bien a small piece of Andy Reid, maybe he'll be what Nagy was for the Bears. Everybody wants to get that little piece of that offensive genius. So it's possible they go that way. you got Jim Caldwell, people have been mentioning, a guy that I don't want at all, head coach of the Lions and Colts back in the day. I always thought that he was kind of a poor coach with some great teams. I thought that their rosters were okay and he underperformed a bit. I don't really want to look that way. You got the Titans offensive coordinator Matt LaFleur you've got the Rams quarterback coach Zach Taylor could we get either Harbaugh John or Jim both say they're not going to be leaving where they currently are but is it possible that you can pry one away there always is a way to get somebody back you know John Gruden said he wasn't planning on coming back he was being very passive if they threw a hundred million dollars that guy he's back in the NFL like nothing he'll say 10-year contract sure I'll be coached forever if you're gonna pay me a hundred million bucks same thing can be done with the Jets we'll see what they're willing to do to get the guy that they want in there Other names being mentioned, like Chuck Pagano, no thanks. Hugh Jackson, no thanks. But when you go down this list, and a couple of those I put on, just as some guys that I thought were interesting, or people that guys are talking about, you know, Harbaugh, Pagano, Hugh Jackson. Those aren't guys that the Jets have asked interviews for or anything like that. But when you look at the guys that they have been really interested in and showed interest as a team, you know, Kingsbury, Adam Gase, Mike McCarthy, Munkin, Biennemi, Matt LaFleur, these are all guys that have offensive backgrounds. And when you look at it, the Jets have had defensive coordinator, Rex Ryan step into a head coach position. They've had defensive coordinator Eric Mangini, defensive coordinator Todd Bowles, and finally they have a quarterback on the roster, and it looks like when you're looking through this list, this has got to be gearing up towards an offensive team. They're ready to switch things up. They don't want to be defensive-minded anymore. Yeah, it's going to be a huge part of the team. they got Jamal Adams and those boys, they definitely definitely have to pay a lot of attention to the defense. You know, you don't want some one-dimensional head coach that really focuses on one unit. Rex Ryan always defense, defense. He didn't know what was going on on offense, it seemed like. Todd Bowles focusing on defense, defense. How involved is he in the offense? You kind of wonder that maybe he doesn't have everything that it takes to be the offensive guy as well. You want a guy that can do both but specializes in offense for the New York Jets. You got to have the ability to lead, but this team needs to start moving in the right direction offensively. We have the quarterback now. He's on a rookie contract for the next three years, and it's time to strike. So when I'm looking at it, the list for me is the guys that have great offensive backgrounds. That also have NFL experience. So if it was up to me, I would say one of these OCs. You know, a Todd Munkin, Eric Bieniemy, Matt Lafleur, Zach Taylor. Honestly, a Harbaugh would be my first choice any day of the week. But I don't think either one of them are going to come. So it was Zach Taylor, Matt Lafleur, Eric Bieniemy, Todd Munkin. Those would be my first choices right now. If you can't get one of those great offensive-minded people that you think can step in and be your genius moving forward and get that whole creative playbook going, then maybe you go with a guy who demands respect right away, a guy who's done it at a high level before. A Mike McCarthy and if not maybe one step back a guy like Adam Gase who maybe got run out of town a little bit too early there in Miami maybe it wasn't all his fault the guy had been coaching pretty well I would definitely be a little bit more in- interested in Adam Gase than a guy like Chuck Pagano Hugh Jackson or Jim Caldwell So that's kind of where I'm at right now I don't really want to see a college guy come in and try to learn the NFL and do stuff unless he's got a resume that's so freaking good that you're like well how could you not give him a chance look what he's done over there not the Texas Tech quarterback with a losing record Gosh, for crying out loud, Cliff Kingsbury, you can say, well, the record doesn't matter because he has such good offenses. You know, the the record does matter when you're the head coach. Otherwise, Todd Bowles wouldn't be fired, right? He's 24 and 40. You fire him. He had a bad record. It's not about what he could do, what he potentially will do, how he leads his players, this or that. It's about the record sucking over four years. We're looking at it saying, boom, this is what it is. He needs to go. People are looking at Mike McCagan saying he needs to go. These are the draft picks. These guys were no good. He needs to go. If you're going to look black and white like that, Cliff Kingsbury losing record in college? No thanks coming to the NFL. All right, so that is NFL news and notes. More of that stuff to come in future episodes, but we're going to stop there for right now. We're going to move to the Jets. We're going to do a little Packers recap. We're going to do a little Patriots recap. But before we get into the Packers... And then the Patriots, we're going to take a quick pit stop at the cooler and do one of my favorite sections called What's On Tap. And the What's On Tap is a section where I talk about the beer that I'm currently drinking for this episode. And today, it is bad. One of the first times ever, I've got a really bad drink in my hand. I had a New Year's Eve party, me and my roommates, on December 31st, of course, and invited some people over. And one of the girls that came left what she was drinking. And that's what I got right now. It is a Babe Rosé with Bubbles babe rose with bubbles i don't usually like roses definitely don't like them in the winter i don't want them with bubbles i don't know why i drank it i thought that it was so ridiculous when i just saw it sitting in my fridge today um it just says babe and it's in a little tiny can and i was like what is this so i read the back of it and it says this is what it says on the side of the can i shit you not this is the angle they took for their marketing for this hey you guys you look great Love your face. Have you lost weight? Let's be honest. Someone had to create a bubbly rosé that was delicious, and most of all, so us. You're welcome. Love you. Miss you. Hate you. Love you. Mean it. And then a picture of a rose. That's literally what it says on the can to get you to buy it. No wonder it was left here. Um, This is absolutely ridiculous. I can't believe that it it actually suckered somebody into buying it. But let's move past that. Um, The can drives you crazy. You drink this thing, it's not good at all. It tastes like a bad rose with a bunch of seltzer water just thrown on top of it. I mean, it's 12% alcohol. It's in this can. I don't know how many ounces it is. It's small. It's uh, 250 milliliters. So it's like, um, I don't know. It's just like a little, it's like the same height as a regular can, but it's skinnier. You've seen them before. Like a Red Bull, um, the little Red Bull version. That sort of a thing. And it is just the absolute worst. Um, I'll never drink one again. I actually kind of feel bad that I'm even talking about it because it doesn't deserve any sort of recognition. But maybe I can stop you from buying Babe Rosé with Bubbles. Um, yeah, I, I've never, I've never really had to do something like this on What's On Tap. I, uh, I just felt the need when I saw that. I was like, I gotta, I gotta figure out what this is and then warn people. So if you see Babe, stay away. All right. So What's On Tap quickly became What's In The Garbage, What's On its Way Down The Drain, What Is The Worst. Moving on from that, we're gonna get into the Packers. And then the Patriots, Packers first, though. Much better game. The Jets played against the Packers. Now, they've had a bad record all year. The Jets are playing at home. This is our last game at home. I'm watching the game. I'm getting all emotional before the thing, like, oh, my God, this is the last time we're going to wear these home jerseys again, you know, without it being like a novelty throwback sort of a thing. We're going to have new things next year. Who knows what we're going to be coming out home field. So all that stuff's going on. I want to see them go. I was worried that Aaron Rodgers wasn't going to play and the Jets were going to win in some game that meant nothing. Just lose a draft position. For a game that you weren't even impressed to win because he wasn't playing, but Aaron Rodgers came out, he played, and it was a battle between him and Sam Darnold, and Sam Darnold played out of his mind. It was a great game for the New York Jets fans, it just unfortunately ended a lot lammer than it should have. Some of that was due to coaching, a lot of that was due to penalties, some bad performance from a few players. But, you know, overall, Aaron Rodgers got it done at the end of the game. The Jets weren't able to hang when it got down to the very end, and they didn't get the ball last in overtime, where it inevitably ended up. So let's get into a little bit of a recap of this thing. Game starts. Early on, Jets get the ball. Jason Myers misses a field goal. All right, Packers get it back. Leo Williams gets a sack. He's starting to play pretty good. Getting big sacks like that are keeping the Packers from scoring. Jets get the ball back. All right, Robbie Anderson's super active early. He's moving around the field. Chris Herndon has a nutso catch, one-handed, absolutely out of this world. We get to the four-yard line. Eli McGuire runs in for the quick score. Then you go back. Packers are getting the ball back. They're doing whatever. Leonard Williams still playing pretty well. Henry Anderson gets a sack, stops another drive for the Packers. Again, Jets get the ball back. Now we're moving down the field, and Sam Darnold gets to about the 33, 34-yard line. He does a little play where he sees Trenton Cannon off to the left in the flat. Does a little pump fake like there. Looks at him very heavy. Draws the defense up and then throws to Robbie Anderson deep, not throwing to the original look. And Trenton Cannon hits Robbie for a 33-yard touchdown. Absolutely awesome. Goes really well. Jets are like, all right, we're playing awesome football. Now as the second quarter goes on, Leonard Williams gets in a fighting match with one of the offensive linemen. Throws a punch. You can hardly see it because none of the camera angles on TV show it. He gets ejected. Leonard Williams out of the game. All right, one of the guys that's playing best for the Jets is gone. This is a guy that's trying to fight for a spot moving forward. A lot of fans are kind of torn between whether or not he's worth paying a decent amount of money to, or whether or not he's sort of, you know, not washed up, but not quite as good as we were hoping he was going to be. So moving forward, Packers start driving a little bit. There's some miscommunication between Jamal Adams and Tremaine Johnson. Not looking so hot. Uh, They do that like twice, hit Kumaro, hit uh, Equinemia St. Brown for a play. They end up getting a touchdown on the Jets. And it's like a 14-7 game, I believe. Kickoff. Andre Roberts, 99-yard touchdown. Matches it right back. Boom, right back in the lead. Absolutely awesome. So Andre Roberts adds to his Pro Bowl campaign with a 99-yard touchdown. What a nice little exclamation point on the season that was already so freaking good for this guy. What a season. He's a free agent. Let's try to get him back. But away from that. Late in the game, or it's 21-7 now, right? Late in the second quarter, Aaron Rodgers moves down the field, gets a touchdown inside two minutes. Sam Darnold and the Jets get the ball back, try to score before the half. Now, they're up up 21-14. They try to score before the half, can't get it going. Turn the ball over quickly to the Packers. Packers get the ball back, move down the field, kick a field goal. They go to the half, 21-17. Packers scored twice within the last two minutes, so all of a sudden, it's a game. Leonard Williams is out, mind you. Now, there are penalties galore in this game. Absolutely crazy. The Jets were penalized over and over and over again. Terrible football in terms of the discipline in that. But we go to the second half, and Jermaine Curse has a nice catch. He's had a few at this point in the game. Robbie Anderson's getting active on third down still. Herndon's involved in the offense, and they throw a nice little quick flat pass out to the right side to Chris Herndon. Touchdown there. Way to go, Jets. Doing awesome, awesome stuff. We kick the ball off. Anthony Wint on special teams comes, hits the kick return of the Packers, knocks the ball out, gets the ball for the Jets on the 20-yard line. So the Jets run a play, 20-yard pass, Eli McGuire, it was a quick pass, Eli McGuire ran for most of the yardage, finds a way to get into the end zone, three touchdown passes for Sam Darnold and the Jets are up 35-0, to feeling great. Now flags, 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 Jets keep getting freaking flagged. Packers find their way down the field, they get down to the one-yard line on a fourth and goal, Aaron Rodgers leans forward, gets his way into the end zone with the very tip of the ball, gets over, touchdown. All right, that sucks. They would do a two-point conversion. Aaron Rodgers does a designed quarterback run, rolls out, goes to the right, gets in. Now the Packers had scored before this, so this gives the Packers a three-point lead. It's 38 to 35 now. The Jets have not much time left, under a minute. Andre Roberts huge kick return. He gets to like the forty yard line. Sam Darnold has a couple nice throws, gets us to about the fifteen yard line. We do have a couple shots for the touchdown at the end of the game to try to win the thing. We can't. We kick a field goal. Jason Myers makes it 38 38. We go to overtime. Now it's overtime. The Packers win the kick. They get the ball. They go down the field. They throw a touchdown to Devontae Adams and the game is over. The Jets never touch the ball in the fourth uh, in the overtime. And they lose the game. Thirty eight to forty four. It's a bummer. They scored 38 points. Sam Darnold had the best game of his entire career, probably. He was throwing lights out, three touchdowns, hitting everybody, big yardage across the board. Coaching wasn't great. End of the game. Clock management poor, in my opinion. They didn't run the right plays at the end. Offensive play calling was strong in the beginning and then kind of dialed it back too much towards the end. Some bad runs kind of backed the way into this game. They essentially, with four minutes to go, three minutes and 30 seconds left in the game, ran the ball um, two times and then... It was a third and 20 after another penalty in this game, and they do like a a weird designed little screen pass that was incomplete. So the Packers get the ball with three minutes to go. When you run the ball like that with a team that's running as poorly as the Jets behind this offensive line, you're not going to pick up the first down, and you're basically saying our goal is to take a minute and 30 off the clock and give Aaron Rodgers the ball with two minutes. Now, with the incomplete pass and the bad running and the penalty, it ends up being about three minutes the Jets give them the ball back. But seriously, Aaron Rodgers didn't need that much time. He didn't need... You know, oh, two minutes, wow, now he's not going to be able to do anything. He marched right down the field as he had done for the entire fourth quarter and scored a touchdown. There were some big penalties in there, sure, but it was no problem for him. So why would you think that just, oh, if we can shave off that minute 15, it's really going to change this game? That's not true. What the Jets needed was first downs, and they didn't have the aggression. If you watch the Seahawks this week when they played their game, at the very end of the game, they were winning the game and it was about 2 minutes, 3 minutes left, and instead of trying to just run the ball and get through to the end of the game and you know give you the ball back with 45 seconds and hopefully it's not enough, they chucked the ball deep. We're hitting Doug Baldwin and Tyler Lockett with under 3 minutes to go with the lead on like 30-yard passes because they were trying it because if you catch those, the game's basically over and they kept doing it. It was like, wow, this is really aggressive and it's working. They have the balls to try something like this and they're going to win the game because of it. The Jets instead were like, well, if we're going to lose, we want to lose, you know, playing by the script. This is kind of the old football, the script like that. Well, you got to run the ball down, give them as little time as possible. You get inside four minutes, four-minute offense is just pound the ball and run. That's, That's the way it used to work. Yeah, that's how you would do it in 2003. But in 2019, 2018, this is a passing league. This is a league that's designed for wide receivers and quarterbacks to have success. And if you can't pick up first downs, you're not going to win the game. Teams score and move the ball way too quickly. It's way too easy. Those penalties that we had, you know, 40, 50-yard penalties, those probably wouldn't have been called 10, 15, 20 years ago. But you lose games like that. You just start throwing the ball deep, and even if you're not catching them, there's still so many flags and things going on that you can move the ball. And I don't know. I just didn't really like that, the way they had managed it there. And, uh, and yeah, it was a bummer because they'd played well all game, like I said. The defense was lacking. Leonard Williams getting ejected hurt. The penalties were bad, and... uh, you know, Sam Darnold had a great performance, but it was one of those games that a lot of Jets fans were like, hey, the Jets played a really good game, Sam Darnold looked awesome, it was great growth from guys like Herndon, Robbie Anderson, but at the end of the day, the Jets lose the game and stayed up in that high draft position area where a lot of fans want to be from a season that's, at this point, all lost. And The Jets had some big help in this game. They had that forced fumble on special teams, they had a 99-yard kick return from Andre Roberts, they had that 60-yard kick return or 50-yard kick return by Andre Roberts, um, you know, they had some things going their way, some crazy catches. But it just wasn't quite enough. The Jets in this game, some of the big issues for me, when you look at the team stats, I don't want to go through all of them like I always do because, you know, the time's sake in this one. But penalties, 16 penalties for 172 yards. 172 penalty yards the Jets gave up. That's insane. Their worst of the season. Absolutely terrible. Rushing, the Jets ran the ball 20 times. Packers ran the ball 20 times. We ran for 47 yards. They ran for 127. 2.3-yard average for the Jets. 6.3 for the Packers. The running game for the Jets has been killing them. There were no holes open all season. Isaiah Crowell was able to break, like, a 70-yard run. And it's funny because I gave I gave a kind of a hard time all season because I was like, here's a guy that can get 50, 60 yards on a play And then for the rest of the game, he's getting two yards, one yard, three yards. And it would have these huge games, you know, 140 yards and a touchdown, and it would look great on paper. You'd be like, wow, he ran the heck out of that ball with a five-yard average. But when you're watching the game, you're like, yeah, but he's been so inconsistent. He hasn't gotten anything done. Like, typically on first down, he's running for one, two yards. All of a sudden, he's out for the season, and you're realizing the guys that are backing him up are getting one or two yards less frequently than Crowell and not breaking nearly as many plays. It was actually a godsend that he was getting those huge plays here and there. I mean, power to him for breaking the Jets' rush, rushing record against the Broncos, having 219 rushing yards. How could he do that with this offensive line? You're seeing it week after week. And I don't know if there's a big difference having James Carpenter in there. I don't think so. Um, Spencer Long moved over, having Jonathan Harrison at center. I don't think so. All these guys are just poor run blockers, and there's nothing open. Eli McGuire, Trenton Cannon, sure, they're not, you know, top tier running backs in the league, but they couldn't get any thing going. And it made it tough. It made it really tough for the team. You know, Total yards in this game, the Packers had 540, Jets had 370. Um, They had time of possession, the Packers 34 minutes, Jets 29. They had 35 first downs, we had 23. Just across the board, we didn't play great. We were 3 for 11 on first down, they were 5 for 12. Um, 2 for 2 for both teams on fourth down efficiency, which were a couple really big plays and big drives. We had a fake punt in this one to give us a first down late in the game, which was a ballsy play by Todd Bowles, and you were thinking like, yeah, this guy's about to get fired. He's his last home game. Who knows if he'll ever be a head coach again. Try something like that. Why not? And uh, it was cool to see Brant Boyer again, special teams coach, having his team ready, getting out there, and being one of the better facets of the entire game for the New York Jets. As always, the special teams absolutely locked and loaded. If Jason Myers had made that extra or that field goal early in the game, who knows, maybe the Jets could have won. But, you know, that's uh, let bygones be bygones. He had a great season, and he's a, a pro bowler because of it. So we're not going to get too upset about that. Jets were 3 for 5 in the red zone, not terrible, but the Packers were 4 for 5. And we didn't have any turnovers in this game, but we didn't have a lot of big plays. That running game couldn't get anything going. You know, it was still a fun game to watch overall. Uh, and Sam Darnold had a really, really good performance. Let's get into him a little bit. Sam Darnold had a quarterback rating, you know, the the QBR, the new stat of an 84.3. He was 24 of 35 for 341 yards and three touchdowns. Sacked twice. That's it for 18 yards. He threw 341 yards and three touchdowns. It was his most impressive statistical game of the season. I think that he hit his receivers better than ever. And in a game where you're running 20 times for 47 yards and they're getting nothing going for you, zero yard play after zero yard play, and penalties backing you up, backing you up, and you're able to find this sort of success. I mean, the Packers have a pretty bad defense. Very soft. They don't force very many turnovers. Uh, They had a couple injuries on defense. And it's not a team that really scares you, sure. And we're playing at home, but as we mentioned earlier in the episode, home field advantage for the Jets isn't as strong as you'd like it to be. But he found success. Now, the wide receivers, big beneficiaries because of it. With 341 yards, you got a lot to go around. Robbie Anderson, probably his best game of the year. Nine catches for 140 yards and a touchdown. He had nine catches on thirteen targets. For Robbie, that's actually pretty good because you know they're forcing the ball to him. You don't have Quincy. You don't really have a number one receiver that team, you know, what you would consider a number one. So Robbie's always targeted very heavy. 13 targets, 9 receptions. Good game. Chris Herndon, 7 targets. The guy had 6 catches, 82 yards and a touchdown. So another great game from him. And then Curse, 4 for 55. McGuire, 3 for 50. And then, you know, Leggett had his one funny catch of the game, and Cannon had one. Running the ball, terrible. Eli McGuire, 14 rushes for 35 yards, and that was about it. Eli McGuire, you know, he's got a get a little bit better if he wants to stay in the team next year. He's going to have to have a pretty big training camp and pretty good preseason because I like him in pass pro, I like him as a receiver, but at the end of the day, if he can't run, the Jets are going to be bringing in other players to preseason, and if they can get a little bit more going than him, he's going to be one of those guys on the outside looking in when it's all said and done. Now, the offensive line wasn't terrible. We only gave up two sacks, but the pass blocking is so much better than the run blocking. The run blocking is terrible. They're not making any holes, and nobody can get anything done. Now, we don't have a great running back back there, but still... The offensive line, you know, I'm glad they keep Sam up. I'm glad that he's healthy. I'm glad that he's only getting sacked twice. But I hate that they can't make any holes. I hate that it's so hard for these kids to run that we can't get the tempo going, you know, sort of like set the tone for the game and control a nice long drive because we can't run the ball. That sort of stuff really kills you. And the penalties on them, not good. Jamal Adams led the team in tackles. Big game for him. Then you had sacks for Darren Lee's backup. Neville Hewitt, another good game from him. Henry Anderson had another sack. Leonard Williams, Frankie Luvu. Hunter Williams shouldn't have gotten ejected in that game, but he'd played really well before that. Frankie Louvoo, a young guy, getting a sack is big for him trying to earn a spot back onto the team next year since he's a free agent. Neville Hewitt, backing up. He had the second most tackles on the the team at 9, and he had that sack. And he's the guy replacing uh, Darren Lee, and his coverage isn't great. He's not the best covering linebacker in the league, but Darren Lee is not an incredible coverage linebacker either, and he can't tackle for anything. And really, he's a guy that needs to be replaced, and I'm pretty sure that new head coach or defensive coordinator is going to come in and be like, wow, this guy needs to improve now or he's gone. So other than that, it was just penalties across the board, you know, stuff on Morris Claiborne, Buster Screen, Trumaine Johnson, a couple miscommunications there. Trumaine Johnson and Jamal Adams, they were playing up on the, uh, the left side of the defense and they couldn't quite figure out which wide receiver to cover. I think the communication there has to be a little bit better. Tremaine Johnson, we know, has kind of, like, mentally checked out and uh, missed some practices and some some player meetings and stuff, and so he got, uh, he got sat for the last game against the Patriots, which we're going to get into next. But first, I just want to do my players of the game. When you go through the special teams, player of the game is Andre Roberts. Two huge kick returns, one monster return. Um... You know, he had 203 return yards in this game. He had a touchdown, 99 yards, a 50-yarder. It was was great. So, good game from him. Your defensive player of the game, you know, I want to give it to a guy. Jamal Adams was all over the field. He made a ton of tackles in this game, but his coverage, they had some lapses there. Aaron Rodgers threw for a ton of yards in this one. Um, Neville Hewitt. He had a ton of tackles, had that sack, but his coverage wasn't great. I don't want to give it to any of those defensive backs that were getting penalties and getting flagged and stuff. So i got to give it to Henry Anderson, who again found a way to get a sack, had four tackles in this game, made his way into the backfield on numerous occasions. You know, you had Leonard Williams out early, so teams were definitely keying up a little bit more on uh, Henry Anderson when they saw on the other side is either Nathan Shepard or Basham or Kafusi, Just like, mm, nobody that really scares you. So Henry Anderson was your big threat out there. He still found a way to make a good game out of it, get a sack, get his tackles, playing well, and he's trending up for sure. He's a free agent this year, and he's one of those guys that everybody in the fan base is in agreement. He should be back. He was a guy that was on this roster and cut from the Colts because he was injured time and time again. Jets have a great training team, keep players healthy very, very well. He comes over here, plays healthy for the year, and has a good season. Offensive player of the game, yeah, your receivers had very good games, but it's no doubt Sam Darnold for 341 yards, for three touchdowns, for playing amazing and for almost leading us to a win. I wish that he got the ball in overtime because I think he would have won the thing. So that is your Packers versus Jets recap. Now we're going to go over to the New England Patriots versus Jets, and I'm going to move even faster through this one because this game was terrible and there's nothing worth talking about if you're a Jets fan, right? I'm not going to spend the last recap of the 2018 season just complimented the Patriots and how freaking great they played. So I'll try to do a game recap briefly without getting into that. The Jets got smoked in this game. They lose the game 38-3. to Now, they're playing in Foxborough, and the Patriots are 8-0 and at home. But this is one of those games that coming into it, I was like, yeah, the Jets are huge underdogs in this game, but it's very possible that we can give the Patriots a run for their money. Sam Darnold's been playing great. They haven't seen him in a while. They don't have a ton of film on him. Um, he's going to come out there. I know we don't have a ton of our weapons and everything. we got some injuries to some skill position players. We don't have Quincy Nunwa, Isaiah Crowell, Bilal Powell, whatever. But still, maybe we can find some stuff going. But the Patriots at home in Foxborough do exactly what the Patriots should have done. They always play that style where they take away your best player. Now, they know a run game is not a threat, so they don't really bother with that. They can stop that with seven men in the box, six men in the box. Then they play Robbie Anderson because he is our best threat on offense, and they stop Chris Herndon because he is our tight end threat. That's basically all that we've had going for us since Quincy Anunua, Bilal Powell, and Isaiah Cuell have gone out. Curse hasn't given us much this year. Terrell Pryor hasn't been on the team for a long time. Our other wide receivers very quiet. Richard Matthews is now on IR. We're bringing in some no-name people to play. Eli McGuire and Trenton Cannon are our running backs, and our offensive line has been spotty, especially in the run game. So what are the Jets going to do if they take away Robbie Anderson and Chris Herndon? And the Patriots know it. And the other guy on our team that's going to get stuff going on offense, Andre Roberts in the return game. So what do the Patriots do? For most of the game, they find a way to kick away from him. They do short squibs to, like, Chris Herndon and give the ball to the Jets' 23-yard line, 25-yard line. They're just giving the ball to us there, saying we're not even going to bother letting Andre Roberts... Take it out because he's a guy that can win this game for them. And that's just the way the Patriots play. I mean, other teams, for whatever reason, don't play with such a I don't know, it's, it's just like excruciating if you're the other team to like see them just take away what you really truly want to do. Stefan Gilmore just so physical with Robbie Anderson. He's a small, skinny guy, right? We said he has chicken arms earlier in the year. Um he was fumbling the ball like crazy. He was in the doghouse at a point because he wasn't getting stuff going. He plays Stephon Gilmore, who's frequently played him well. The guy played so physical with him. In his post-game interview, Gilmore was like, yeah, I played physical with him, and it was easy because he's just small and skinny. So they do stuff like that, take advantage of you there. They stop the run game. They don't let your big playmakers get any big plays, and when the whole thing's all said and done, everybody all across the board has a bad game, and you lose a thing 38-3 to close out a pretty bad overall 2018 season, but also to close out Todd Bowles' career and the career for a lot of these players with the New York Jets. A lot of guys not under contract next year, and for good reason, a lot of them won't be back. So this was their farewell tour with the Jets, and it didn't go the way that we wanted it to. Had the Jets won, we may have put the Patriots in a position where they would have had to play a uh, a first-round game, and they would have had to play one of those teams like the Ravens or the Colts, and it could have been a very difficult game for them, possibly getting them a loss early, which would have been very nice to see, but it didn't happen. Instead, the Jets lose this one, and they get that third pick in the draft because of it. Let's go through some of the stats. First downs. Jets have 12 first downs in the whole game. The Patriots have 24. All right, The Jets have 135 total passing yards, and you take away the sacks. Patriots, 244. We only sacked Tom Brady one time, and it was for a 6-yard loss. Darnold, he was sacked four times for 32 yards. We did run the ball a little bit better in this game. We had 4.5 yards per rush. Sam Darnold had a nice one, um, but we had 104 rushing yards still. Not good enough. Uh, The Patriots, they had 131 rushing yards, a little bit better than us. Penalties for the Jets were way down in this one. Very good. Four penalties for 30 yards. Patriots, also four penalties for 30 yards. That was a wash. But we had three turnovers. You know, Eli McGuire had a fumble, a couple other bad fumbles and and bad plays by the New York Jets over the course of the game. Sam Darnold, he didn't throw any interceptions, but he dropped the ball, the fumble at one point. And uh, when it was all said and done, it just all across the board, any way you want to slice it. The Jets lost this thing. It was a it was a three to thirty eight game, right? So the defense didn't play great. We couldn't really stop the Patriots. They were scoring with ease. Thirty eight points is a ton. Jets score three. Their lowest of the entire season. Three points. It's bare minimum. Terrible. So there's nothing good to really talk about on either side. Now somehow Sam Darnold gets away from this game with a seventy four point six quarterback rating, um, a, a sixty five point eight QBR, that new quarterback metric. Um, He was 16 for 28, which is pretty good passing percentage, well over 50%, but only 167 yards, 6-yard average. He didn't have any interceptions, no touchdowns. Nobody in the team had a touchdown. Um, And he was sacked four times for 32 yards, so I wouldn't like to see him sacked that much. Trey Flowers, Patriots defensive lineman, very good player. Uh, The Jets didn't play a great offensive line game in this one. It was uh, a little bit weaker than usual. Eli Maguire, he had 18 carries for 41 yards. Another just terrible rushing game for Eli. He closed this season out with opportunities. Everyone was like, well, now that Powell and Crowell are out, we can't wait to see Eli Maguire. Eli Maguire was absolutely awful at running the ball for the New York Jets. That's all there is to it. By the time this season ends, that's what the story is. He was an awful, awful runner for the New York Jets. Now, he was a very good passer. I'm sorry, pass catcher. And he was a good pass blocker. He always made more yardage had more success in the receiving game than the rushing game he did find touchdowns towards the end zone he did when you were inside five yards elon mcguire did get a bunch of rushing touchdowns for the jets just everywhere else in the field he couldn't get yardage at all i don't know maybe once he sniffs the end zone he finds a way to get in he just turns it up a little bit and says i gotta get there but middle of the field i mean he couldn't get anything going this was another week 41 total yards for a guy that got 18 carries it's you know partially the offensive line's fault for sure for sure but Bilal powell and Isaiah Carell were both playing with this offensive line for the most part, and they were both finding much, much more successful games than the very best rushing game Eli McGuire had all season. Now Trenton Cannon, he didn't get a ton of opportunities. The team doesn't seem to be running him a ton. Uh, Two carries in this one. They brought in uh, Henderson, who was a guy that was on the practice squad, bounced around all season. He ran twice for 19 yards, and Sam Darnold had that big one for 28 yards, totaling 104 yards for the Jets. Receiving, Robbie Anderson had eight targets, only three catches for 24 yards. Absolutely shut out. Chris Herndon, a guy that's always a big factor for the Jets in the offense for this season, he ends with three targets, one catch, eight yards. I mean, there's your offense missing. Two guys. Who are your best players, if you say, in this lineup, what we're going in with, who are your best offensive players? Aside from Darnold, you'd say, well, Robbie Anderson and Chris Herndon. Boom, they're out. So who has the best game for the Jets on offense? Deontay Burnett, the practice squad kid from USC. Sam Darnold's former teammate over in California. And the guy came in with five catches, 73 yards on five targets. 5 for 5. 14.6 yards per catch. I mean, he's flashed all season long. I think it's safe to say at this point, Deontay Burnett had a much better season than Jermaine Curse overall. as a whole body of work for the amount of time they were on the field and the production that they gave. And the effort level even. So, if you're thinking about cutting Deontay Burnett, because he's not going to be on the roster next year, and it's you know he's one of those guys that you really want to fill another spot with him. Because you probably want to have maybe Sharon as special teams gunner. Then you have Andre Roberts as a as a return man, here's a receiver, Then you got Robbie Anderson, and you've got um, Quincy Nunez, Now all of a sudden you've got like four. Do you and you want to bring another guy or two in? You probably don't want to carry seven, eight receivers. So where does Deontay Burnett fit into that whole thing? You better not have Jermaine Curse on that roster. You better not have you better not bring him back and not bring Deontay Burnett, right? Out of all the guys that we have, the guy that's most deserving to be on this team, honestly, for a receiver is probably Andre Roberts. But he's a return man. He just takes up one of those receiver spots. Then Robbie Anderson and Quincy Nunwa. Other than that, we got to bring in some more talent. We do need a couple guys that play special teams because Robbie Anderson and Quincy Nunwa are not going to be out there playing special teams, coverage teams. It's not going to be happening. That's what Sharon Peek does. And, you know, he's not a great receiver. He's not going to be there. But he has a role on this team. He plays in every single game and does one specific job. There are players in this team that don't play in any game ever. Backup offensive linemen that don't touch the field. Josh McCown on the roster doesn't touch the field. You know, but Sharon Peake actually does have a role, just not in the receiving game. Anyways, that was 167 total receiving yards for these guys. 73 were for Deontay Burnett, so less than 100 for everybody else. You're talking about, like, 96 yards for Andre Roberts, Eli Maguire, Robbie Anderson, Chris Hurd, and Jordan Leggett, J.J. Jones, and Trenton Cannon all combined for under 100 yards. Tough going for the Jets. The Patriots did what they do best, and they made it really freaking hard on us. They made us look bad. They made us look really bad for the last game. It would have been nice to kind of, like, shoot into the offseason with a little bit of momentum, saying, like, wow, Sam Darnold's been playing great. He hasn't thrown an interception since the week against the Buffalo Bills, which he still hasn't. Um, He's been on fire. The Jets knocked the Patriots back. Now they got to play a week one game, and we're feeling good about ourselves. We're headed in the right direction, we just need to get a new coach and apparently new uniforms. But that's not what happened. We'll move over to the defensive side of the ball. Offensive line, obviously, not great pass pro with those four sacks, not great run blocking with the uh, 106 total yards, but a big chunk of it came um, in garbage time when you're down. You know, Henderson's running the ball, and then Sam Darnold, a 28-yard run. So overall, your your main core of the running game, that Eli McGuire, 18 yards, 41 yards, not good enough to give the offensive line really any credit in this game, and a bunch of those guys are going to be replaced next year, hopefully especially in that interior portion. Defensive side of the ball. Jamal Adams leads your team in tackles again. 11 tackles, guys all over the field. The next most in the entire team was Rontez Miles, your safety, an old safety, playing in the back because the ball just keeps getting thrown downfield to Chris Hogan and Edelman and Gronkowski and everybody way down there. So the safeties are cleaning it up. Buster Screen has seven tackles, way too many for a cornerback. He's getting picked on all game long. He had a couple nice plays throughout the game, but, you know, not enough. Avery Williamson was a guy that was absolutely awesome all season, and then in the last, like, four weeks or so, really quieted up a bit. He wasn't getting nearly as many sacks, forced fumbles, pass deflections, interceptions, just big plays, and his, sat, his total tackle numbers were down a little bit as well. I think that maybe he was a guy that was feeling it a little bit towards the end of the year. The Titans played him, and he was a good offense, uh, a good middle linebacker for them. And then eventually, towards the end of the season, the Titans kind of, like, tapered him out and played him less and less, and it was like, well, why weren't they playing him? Avery Williamson's really good. It's possible that he's a guy that just kind of gets tired, and maybe a 16-game season isn't something that he's truly ready to play at a super, super high level. Now, those are things that a new coach is going to have to take in mind if that's the case. I'm not sure that it is. It's just possibly an explanation towards why he had a little bit of a fall off at the end of the season. Statistically, you know, play-wise, he definitely was less of an impact player than he was the first 10, 11, 12 weeks. you got to admit that, right? He was definitely less noticed on the field than he was earlier. And if that's the case, it's up to these coordinators and people to make sure that they find a way to keep him healthy and rested so that if we do make a playoff run while he's on the roster, he's going to be playing at a high level. Look at the way Pete Carroll handled Marshawn Lynch and would run him, you know, in the beginning of the season, run him 20-plus times. And then towards that middle stretch of the season, before the playoffs and everything, they would always taper him back to that 17, 16 a game. And it was very small, marginal, you didn't really notice it, but he always had a lighter workload in that middle of that season coming towards the end. And then once it got to the playoffs, they'd pick it right back up, 22 carries, just like that, because they'd keep him healthy. And that's the type of thing that you have to be wary of as a coach. You've got to be looking out for your players, and you have to know who are the guys that need this little bit of extra attention. Who needs to be rejuvenated a little bit, and how can we get them there? Do we have to split time a little bit? Do you have to miss a game or two? I'm okay. You know, If you have to miss a game or two, let's try not to miss a really important, crucial game that we have to win against a divisional team or something like that. But if you got to miss a game and it's going to make you play better in the next five, six games, then maybe it's something you have to do. Or if you want to come out for a few plays, maybe especially in garbage time, if the Jets are winning a game, which there were a few this year, they were winning handily, maybe you take them out you let somebody else come in and just rest him a little bit. It's all options, things you want to explore. So he definitely fell off a little bit towards the end. Overall, Avery Williamson, great player, great season. Glad that he's there. We had a lot of backup uh, defensive backs in this game because Trumaine Johnson was benched for missing those meetings, like I'd mentioned. So you've got, like, Derek Jones playing again. He'd had an all-right game. Um, Rashard Robinson playing. He's not very good. Overall, Perry Nickerson was in there a little bit. He was uh, pretty quiet overall. The one sack that we had came from Leonard Williams, who had six tackles, which is actually the highest of anybody on the team that isn't a defensive back. Leonard Williams, our defensive lineman, and he had that sack, and after getting ejected last week, he came out and, you know, just a little bit more towards his argument towards why he deserves to be on the team and why he should get paid whatever he wants to get paid. It's, It's always kind of funny how it works that way, coincidentally, right? When a contract is coming up and somebody's about to get paid, they start playing a little bit better. Mo Wilkerson, right at the end of last season, just started playing a little better, and now you know, Leonard Williams kind of brought it back up the last few weeks. It's just if he hadn't gotten ejected, I think we would have seen a much better game from him against the Packers. And uh, overall, that's just kind of what it is. Andre Roberts only had two kick returns in this game, even though the Patriots had 38 points, you know, because they were kicking the ball away from him. And Jason Myers kicked the one field goal for 40 yards, got us three points. One for one, yay. Locke Edwards had five punts in this game, 47.4 average. It a 51 was as long, so it was pretty consistent right in that area range. He wasn't didn't have a lot of bad ones, didn't have any boomers. It was just kind of 47.4 yards getting there. Um, I think if you've got to do special teams player of the week, you can't give it to Roberts. Jason Myers, one for one on field goals is good, but Lock Edwards, he was the guy that was most active in special teams, and he didn't have a bad game. So I'm going to give that to Lock Edwards as the player of the game for the uh, special teams. Defensively, I'm actually going to go with the guy Leonard Williams because in this game, he had the most tackles of any player in the front seven, which is pretty impressive for a defensive end in the 3-4 defense. It's not a high tackle-generating position. Now, aside from that, he's getting his presence felt all over. He's the only player that registered a sack on Tom Brady, and everybody knows that the way you beat the Patriots is you make Brady uncomfortable, especially in his older years now. You knock him around, and you get him, and the only player that was able to get to him in the entire game was Leonard Williams. So for that game, he came back, and he kind of rejuvenated himself after getting ejected last week, and has his first player-of-the-game performance on This Is The Jet Life. Good for him. Offensively, the only player that really had a noticeably strong performance was Deontay Burnett. Now, Sam didn't have a bad game, and some of the other players didn't have bad games, right? Jordan Leggett did just about what he always does, you know, a catch for seven yards or so. But Deontay Burnett, five catches on five targets for 73 yards. Strong game from him. He was the majority of the offense. Nobody on the offense had more yards than him. He's a practice squad player who's just trying to make a name for himself. The Patriots forget about him because they're focusing on Robbie Anderson and Chris Herndon, and they don't hardly even know who that is. They're like, well, if we're going to get beat by Deontay Burnett, we're probably going to win this game if he's the big X factor. And so Sam took his shots with him, and he caught every ball that was thrown to him. A couple nice catches, too. So proud of him. He's a guy that you got to look at bringing back. He's a very good, cheap option depending on where you're spending your money. If you're putting a lot at, say, a running back, Le'Veon Bell, a lot of people are saying potentially if you're throwing a lot of money there, Maybe you look for a couple more cost-efficient players in that wide receiver position, and he's easily one of those guys. You know, you could get him probably for $1 million next year. And if he can play special teams, you can get him to be a gunner or something like that. Maybe he takes that, sure, on peak spot. But he's got to kind of hone his craft, and I think he should keep working on being a wide receiver, but he should look at those other avenues of getting onto the roster, those special teams positions, those can he kick return, can he punt return, and can he be a gunner on kickoff and uh on the punting game. You could potentially have a new special teams coordinator out there also. So you could definitely earn your stay with play like that. That's how Sharon Peak is still on this roster. There were receivers that played better than him in preseason. He's on this roster for that reason. But overall, that's what we got. The Patriots crushed the Jets 38-3. to I'm not going to get into anything on what they did and this and that. You can watch them in the playoffs in two weeks when they play their first game. The divisional round, already shooting past the freaking wild card round, as always. Super easy ride for them, I'm sure. One home game. Probably going to play well there. They haven't lost their all season. And then they're going to go maybe play the Kansas City Chiefs. And if the Chiefs lose, as they've been known to do with Indy Reed teams in the playoffs, the Patriots will have another home game. And it'll be against, you know, who knows, to just make it to the Super Bowl. And hopefully that's not the case. Going to be watching. I'll be rooting for, you know, Lamar Jackson. Nice to see a rookie quarterback play well. I'm going to be rooting for Phillip Rivers because I'm a big fan of him. And he hasn't won a Super Bowl or even made one. And I think that he had some really good teams. Just had some spotty coaching. You know, Schottenheimer and some guys back in the day they just didn't. They weren't aggressive enough when it came down to it in the playoffs, and, and they wouldn't change their game plans. And Unfortunately, with coaching like that, it, it wasn't really conducive to him winning. And with Ladanian Tomlinson and Antonio Gates, Phillip Rivers has played super hard. He's healthy all the time, a true competitor, a guy that I really respect and appreciate, and uh, I'd like to see him have a nice run in the playoffs. So that's a team that I'm going to be rooting for, no doubt and uh, my original Super Bowl prediction winner was the New Orleans Saints, so we'll see what they can do over there. I had them going up against the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they have embarrassed me and let me down, but at least it's not the New York Jets, right? There is a dumpster fire that we are staying away from. One more team added to the list that is embarrassing and making headlines as the Jets quietly are going through their coaching search through a bunch of unknown offensive coordinators to see who's going to come home and take care of Sam Darnold and the boys. I look forward to doing another week. As always, if you like this episode and you like what we do here, then uh, you know, rate, review, subscribe, anything wherever you listen to these podcasts, any platform, go for it. Follow me on Twitter at Jets underscore Dan. Uh, this this is the Jet Life Podcast as part of the Gangreen Nation Network. So listen to Michael Nania, who's got the other um Gangreen Nation podcast mixed in with mine, and then check out the website. There's a bunch of good stuff there. Appreciate it. Um yeah, that's basically all I got. Like I said, I'm basically gonna take a week off, probably gonna do you know two episodes a month basically every two weeks probably going to still try to do them around Tuesdays. I don't have a really far long-term plan right now. We'll kind of see how it unravels as the month goes on with the playoffs, with the Jets head coaching search and and things like that, but the initial one is going to be just a 2018 season recap to go over, you know, what was Sam Darnold's total statistics, his whole body of work, you know, same for the offensive line, the defensive players, who were our sack leaders, interceptions, things like that, and what players are going to be free agents, who we're going to be looking at moving forward and uh, yeah I look forward to all that there's a ton of stuff still to get into this is the busy time of year right? we spend all season watching the games and evaluating and this and that but all of a sudden the season ends it's for the Jets, and you got to start making the decisions now you got to pick the head coach, which direction are we going now you got to bring in the new players, the coordinators who's going to fit the scheme, who's going to do that, what contracts are you going to negotiate you got to look at the draft, who are you going to take there you've got to build your team for next year because once you get there you don't get more strong players. You get to pick up practice squad guys. You get to make maybe a little trade here or there, pick up a guy off waivers. But for the most part, the core best players of your team are the guys that you're going into that week one. And everything that sets for that week one is what happens between now for the New York Jets and between that first game. So I'm going to be covering all of it the whole way through. And as always bonus coverage on uh, Twitter jets underscore Dan. You can follow me, ask me questions engage any way you want. I always appreciate that. And, uh, Yeah. Thank you for joining me. I'll make sure I have a better beer on tap for next week, and I can actually guarantee that next week will be the first episode in a while that I won't be covering a New York Jets loss. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life.